this is Greg Cox, prolific tie-in author, and this is Heroes Home-Based Podcast. Hey guys, this is Mark. This is Rob. What is going on? This is Rich, episode well, 24. <laughs> Episode 24, and this is such an awesome treat tonight. I mean, I we've had guests on this show before, but this is probably just such an incredible privilege to be able to talk to our guests tonight. We got Greg Cox on the show, author Mark's of favorite author, my favorite author, <laughs> author of The Court of Owls, a Batman novel. Just came out. When did it come out? Come, it came out last year. He's also written two Iron Man books, Iron Man, The Armor Trap. Iron Man Operation AIM, and he did an X-Men Avengers Gamma Quest trilogy book that came out 19, in 1999. Which so is, his, you've mentioned that quite a few times on the show, right? Yeah, I mean, tonight we're in such, for such a treat. It was such a great conversation, such a privilege to be able to talk to him. He's such an incredible, smart, detail-oriented, really just a, such a fulfilling writer, and it was just a privilege to talk to him tonight. So we got Greg Cox on the show tonight, guys. <laughs> Graduated with a chemistry degree. And ended up becoming a writer. And came a writer. Followed his dreams. Love it. I'm telling you, if you're writing some of these complex characters, I'm sure that chemistry degree came in handy. <laughs> right? I, when we were talking to him, man, I was like, uh, yeah, the only reason I passed chemistry was because the teacher went off of Rob's notebook. Yeah, I graded her notebook. <laughs> right. She's like, that's not right. I'm like, actually, you're not right. <laughs> Well, do we uh, have anything else to say before we get into the interview there, guys? No. I'm good. All right. So without further ado, Mark's favorite author, Greg Cox. Here he is. I like the DC guy sign in the background. Like yeah. that. That was my old license plate. <laughs> now I drive a company car, so I don't get to use the license plate. So now it's on my wall. <laughs> hey, Mark, I actually recognize the poster frame behind you. I remember buying that actual comic at 7-Eleven. Did you really? I was like, yeah. yeah. Wow. Well, it's so funny because I'm in my office right now and I have my bookshelf right next to me. I have all of your work here. That one takes me back. That was a long time ago. Oh, the old Julie Bale cover. Yes, I have all three of your trilogies. So yeah. Well, they reissued that recently. Did they really? Hang on, I'll show you the new cover. Oh, please nice. do. I'm in my office too. Yeah, to my surprise, they just recently reissued that as an wow. omnibus. Oh, wow. Nice. Yeah. Excellent. That's I awesome. I never thought those books were going to see the light of day again, but yeah, so. <laughs> no way. I mean, I'm not complaining because that was a long time ago. You know, it was like back during the Clinton years, you know. Yeah. Greg, you're about to be a boy fanboy out, man. Uh, Mark's been talking about your books since. I mean, we're only about 25 episodes in on our podcast, but he's mentioned your books constantly. So he's. Excited. I have. I've really. I mean, because seriously, I've before the Court of Owls, all I had were you know the Armor Trap by Iron Man. Um, I had Operation Aim, and I had the Avengers X Men Gamma Quest. So that's all the books of yours that I had, and I just because you you just did such a great job. I feel like those books you said was a long time ago, but they just they just stood the test of time and I mentioned that we talk about all things comics on this podcast and I just your books your novels some I prefer them sometimes over the comic books yeah I, I'm not going to complain about that <laughs> <laughs> in my head like I said I remember writing them 
and again, just, you know, like I said, wow, that was, you know, three addresses ago, you know. Yeah. You know, I remember, oh, I, I was living in, you know, New York then, and that was like, well, I moved away from New York 2001, so, you know. Wow. Uh, so I said, like, oh, many, many books since then, you know. <laughs> yes, where in New York, because I currently live in New York also, I live in Brooklyn, where in New York did you live? Uh, we lived in the West Village, uh, about near Washington Square Park. Wow. In fact, you'll remember in the first book of the Gamma, you know, Quest Trilogy, um, there's a huge big fight scene in Washington Square Park. Yes. Destroy the arch. I was living about a block away at the time. So that's wow. Like, you know. That's right. I remember that scene, Rogue is fighting t-shirts and she crashes straight through the arc. Yeah, poor Rogue destroys the Washington Square Arch. Yeah. Oh my, you lived a block away. That's incredible. Yeah, Waverly Place. Oh, wow. So it was just sort of, I think I probably sat, sat in the park one day and sort of, okay, so then the Hulk comes here. And, you know, whatever, you know. Nice. That's incredible. That's so awesome. Are you, you said you're in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, correct? Yes. What's it like there? Uh, well, besides the fact that, you know, we are currently in a strange, Change time. No, we're really enjoying it. We moved here three years ago. It's about a very nice town. It's got like, you know, back when everything is open, it's got, you know, there's a comic book store about within walking distance of me. There's movie theaters, a nice old time theater, central market, you know, bookstores, etc. Excellent. That's great. Very walkable town. We're within walking distance of the comic book store, the train station the farmer's market, et cetera. You know, you mentioned it being a strange time. I just, you know, I never thought that in my generation that we would see something like this. This is just incredible. You know, it, what a time this is, really. Ordinarily, I would be trekking off to Shore Leave, which is a big Star Trek convention in probably about a week or so, you know. But oh, wow. <laughs> I actually was born and raised in Seattle, so I've always been tempted to. Were you really? Yeah, though Emerald City got started after I moved to the West East Coast. So, yes. you know, I, I used to go to NorwestCon and things back in Seattle. But yeah, Emerald City has started after I left. So that a fun, I keep tempted as an excuse to go back and see my family. You know. But I will tell you that Seattle is my, I live in, I moved to New York. I live in Brooklyn because it's my favorite city, but it's right behind New York City is Seattle. I loved it so much that in the short time that I was there, I went to go view an apartment because it's just a beautiful, amazing city. I loved it so much. I, like I said, I, I love Seattle too. I, I moved east because that's where the whole book publishing comic book industry is in various right. people. Especially back then, pre-internet, Greg, if you're serious about this, you have to move to New York. So I did. But, so I actually lived in Brooklyn briefly too for a while. I remember I was, I was on the F train. Uh, where was I? It was a few, few stops short of... Oh, the Church Street. My apartment was down by Church Street on the F line. I remember that. Oh, wow. Yes, that's in Brooklyn. Yep, absolutely. That's incredible. Uh, two stops short of south of Park Slope, you know. Yeah, it's so funny because I picked up, and I don't frequent Park Slope often, but I picked up, because everything is closed, after you told me about the Court of Owls, I picked up uh, the book at a Barnes & Noble in Park Slope. I had to go there because that was the only store that had it where I could pick it up actually from the store. I go order online and pick it up from the store. And that is where I went to go get it. But I actually had to take the F train. I live off the L train. I live in Bushwick. And um, I had to take the L train to get to the F. And I went to the Park Slope Barnes and Noble to pick it up there. Actually, the last convention I went to before everything shut down was in New York. It was Winter WinterCon. Con. I, yeah. I went to your table because I was going to bring my Gamma Quest books for you to sign, but you were hosting the panel on stage. 
Ah, yeah, Sorry I did. To connect. I, I know. I'm glad we were able to reconnect. I, I seriously, you're the, you are the. I, I've been to that con once before, that the World Resorts Casino there, over by the Aqueduct, and I went specifically this year to see you, but I couldn't wait too long because you were on stage doing the panel. I think it was. I forgot the name of the show. It, it was Farscape. 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 That's what it was. Yeah, I was doing a couple of far. I was doing the Farscape thing that weekend. Yeah. Yes, yeah, so I, I brought my Gamma Quest book specifically for you to sign them, but I, I'm, gl I'm glad, I, I felt that we would reconnect later on. I, I'm sure, I was sure that we would, so I'm glad that we're doing yeah. it now. I remember that weekend, that the Fars I did the Farscape trivia contest Friday night. I did the Farscape reunion panel. Yeah, that was the Farscape weekend, you know. Nice, man. I had never heard of that show. It was Australian-based, correct? Yeah, but no, it played on the Sci-Fi Channel, though. Oh, did it? Okay. It, it was an American, it, it was, they filmed it in Australia, but it played on the Sci-Fi Channel for... I think four or five seasons, and then, you know. I had no idea it was so popular. You know, I was surprised to find out it was still so popular, because, you know, it, I remember when it was a thing, and honestly, the reason I got drafted is back in the day, I used to edit the Farscape novels, I wrote for the Farscape magazine, so I had a professional connection there, but I hadn't really thought about Farscape, you know, in, in decades. I watched, the show was a very big part of my life for a while, I watched it religiously. It was when they called me and said, Greg, can you come up here and MC all these Farscape events? I actually, Oh, Jesus Christ. Just, oh, thank God it's on there. <laughs> it, 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 it was a time when I knew it backwards and forwards. Like, right. I haven't watched this show in 20 years, you know. Uh, right. But I sort of had to quickly, you know, do a binge watch and refresh myself. Yeah. Funny, I, I, hadn't, I hadn't met the cast members since the very first Farscape convention in Burbank, California, like in 1990-something, you know. Wow. That was a whole blast from the past. Nope. Farscape at its time was a, you know, it was one of the, it was one of the Sci-Fi Channel's big shows. Interesting. That's awesome. Yeah, it was such a big following. I read up on it because I'm like, boy, this show is really huge. I had no idea. And and, and as you Wikipedia, it really it even goes on to say, I think it's about a paragraph or so, where it talks about what a huge following the show has. I was surprised to find out because I was hanging out at the hotel every night with the, the Farscape fans. You know, they're, 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 they're like, they're like, Rolling Stone fans, apparently they follow the cast around from convention to convention, and, and they all knew each other, and they've been going to, hi, da, da, they, you know, wow, it's, they, they, you know, Farscape fandom is a thing, you know, and they're very close-knit, and they all know each other, you know. Wow. I love that when I hear things like that, because it just, it's such a sense of community. And they yeah. actually, like, knew a lot of the act more than I did. They're like, oh, hi, Claudia, they, they, you know, blah, 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 you know, because wow. they've been going to these conventions for years and grown up watching it, you know. That's incredible. I mean, I, I love my shows. I'm very passionate about certain things, but I don't know about following people around, you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> to certain conventions, because that can get kind of expensive, you know what I mean? But if you're passionate about it, go for it. They're all like, oh, yeah, we haven't seen each other since the last big Farscape convention, wherever it was, you know. Wow, that's incredible. I'll tell you one last piece of trivia. Yes. Um, the last time I'd seen the cast members was at a Farscape convention in New York City, and that was the weekend right before 9-11. Mm. Wow. What was I doing before 9-11? I was at a Farscape convention. Oof. And I remember the cast members actually got stuck because they were all supposed to fly back to Australia to keep filming. And of course, they shut down all the airports. Oh, yeah. my God. So yeah, the last, there was a Farscape convention in New York the weekend right before 9-11. Were you uh, still living in New York when that happened? I was living in Waverly Place. I went out of my front porch and saw the smoke. I didn't actually oh see the buildings come down, but I got a call from my girlfriend, ran out to the sidewalk, and saw the big plumes of smoke rising up from, you know, where the towers used to be. That's incredible. Oh, my god! It's funny. It's in my head because like I said, oh, I remember there was a, I had been at like a Farscape convention the day before, you know. Right. 
And I had seen Claudia Black and Ben Browder and, you know. First, I want to thank you, Greg, so much for taking the time out and talking to us tonight. It really is a privilege to be able to talk to you and see you. And I can't wait to get into all of your work. So thank you so much for taking the time out with us tonight. Well, thank you for inviting me. So I first come to know you through your X-Men Avengers Gamma Quest trilogy books. And then I went on to later read Iron Man, the Operation AIM book and then Iron Man, the Armor Trap book. So those books, I tell you, you did such a fantastic job. I prefer those over the comic books because you really just did such a great job of capturing everything we know about the Avengers and Avengers Mansion and Fifth Avenue, and you put all the elements of New York in it, Central Park and and Washington Square Park, and you just did such a great job in telling the backstories of these, of these heroes and incorporating that into a new story. And you did just such a great job with those books. And as I was contacting you about tonight's podcast, you told us about your latest work, The Court of Owls, that I have here, right here in my hand. And I will tell you, Greg, it took me three days to read this book. I could not (laughs) put it down. It was excellent. I mean, you brought the whole Batman family into it and you brought them into it with such finesse. I mean, there's Nightwing, there's Batgirl, and I'm a huge Barbara Gordon fan. So that when I saw her come up on the pages, I was like, so excited. He is a huge Barbara Gordon fan. I'm a huge (laughs) Barbara Gordon fan. And so, you know, and so we're just going to dig into this tonight. A Court of Owls. I have it here in my hand. The artwork is great. And so you, I first knew you through, you did Marvel, but now you're doing DC. How did you get picked to do this book? Well, I've actually been doing both for a long, long time. Even before I wrote the Marvel books, um, I wrote a couple of Batman stories for some Batman short story collections that came out around the time of the second Tim Burton movie. Nice. Ah. I like to joke that I've been writing Batman on and off since Michelle Pfeiffer was Catwoman. (laughs) (laughs) Ah. (laughs) Nice. I mentioned this once to a young woman at a convention. She goes, wow, that was the year I was born. Oh, (laughs) man. Uh, but no, yeah, and then, like I said, I got recruited by Byron Price at the time. It was the packager of Byron Price Visual Publications that had a license to do books based on Marvel characters. And actually, I did the Iron Man books first. Okay. We do a couple of Iron Man books. And this was long before Iron Man was a movie star. Right. Long before he was Robert Downey Jr. Right. And mm-hmm. then after that, um, I ended up doing an X-Men slash Avengers trilogy. Yes. Fact, true story. I remember how that actually happened is I did the two Iron Man books and they called me up and said, hey, Greg, would you like to do a third Iron Man book? And I actually got a little pushy and said, well, you know, gee, I love Iron Man. Iron Man's great. But, you know, we all know the X-Men books sell better. Can, can, when am I going to get a shot at X-Men? Right. And then they said, well, do you want to do an Iron Man X-Men crossover novel? And I said, sure. And then somehow this billowed. And before we knew it, it was a entire trilogy featuring the Avengers and the X-Men. So Incredible. Can you tell how long did it take you to write A Court of Owls? Or The uh, Court of Owls? A Court of Owls, longer than it should have, because actually we were in the process of moving when my, mm. my, 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 my editor, Steve Saffel at Titan, was very patient because we were in the process of moving <laughs> that summer. So, you know, home inspections, moving and everything kind of slowed down the process. But, you know, a couple of months. But, like, with some nice. interruptions because, well, you know, we had to sell our house, move buying a new house, move in. You know. Buying and selling a house slows everything. Down. Everything. I, it, it, it consumed our life for about oh, yeah. a month or so. So yeah, the book was a little late actually. <laughs> Can you tell me? That's what I'm planning to do again anytime soon, but yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> I, I keep telling my you know, wife, well, we're here until 2042 now, you know. Uh, <laughs> yep. Nice. Lock it down. Yeah, I hear you. I hear you. 
did you what kind of research did you do to prepare for this book because like i was saying with your x-men avengers trilogy the x-men and the avengers they have such a rich history and you did such a great job incorporating that history into those books and batman also has a huge history what kind of research did you do to prepare for this book well i should probably mention that the book court of owls is uh, kind of a sequel to a storyline which ran in the comics, which was The Court of Owls. Yes. By Scott Snyder. Scott Snyder, yep. So, yeah, in fact, just to clarify, because there's sometimes confusion, this book, my book, yay, yep. is yes. not a novelization of the Scott Snyder story. It's more of, you know, what happened next. It, it's a right. new novel featuring, you know, Scott Snyder created The Court of Owls, and I got a call from, again, Titan saying, Greg, would you like to write a Batman novel? We would like it to feature the Court of Owls, but it's a whole new story featuring the same villains created by Scott Snyder. Nice. So, but yeah, I, one of the things I did, besides the fact that, you know, Batman is burned into my brain, uh, <laughs> is I went back and read the original Scott Snyder graphic novel over and over again. I, I read all the other storyline. I, mean, I tracked down every storyline I could find involving the Court of Owls nice. so that I was well gripped versed in the mythology of the Court of Owls and the Talons and their secret societies. Yeah. And we also wanted a plot that, since the whole shtick, for those who don't know, of the Court of Owls is they're this secret society that's been pulling the strings, you know, in Gotham City since, you know, the founding of Gotham City. Forever, we wanted a yeah. plot that went deep into yep. the roots of Gotham City. So I did a whole lot of reading into like, you know, turn of the century, you know, New York and everything, read a lot of historical novels, nonfiction books. Uh, there, there's a character in the book whose name escapes me, but she's an artist model back in the old days, who is sort of a composite of a couple of real people who were involved in a couple of real, real true crime cases back in the day in New York City. Nice. Um, again, for those who don't know, the plot has Batman facing a current mystery and to solve the current mystery, he has to go back and solve a 100-year-old mystery in Gotham City about a beautiful artist model who went mysteriously vanished, you know, in 1902 or something. Right. Okay. So, so, that, so I did a lot of historical research for the, the book jumps back and forth between what happened in Gotham City back in the day and the current storyline in modern-day Gotham City. And like I said, just, you know, read every Batman, you know, not that I wasn't already reading the Batman comics, but getting my, you know, devouring Batman graphic novels and, you know, and I've got on my shelf all sorts of technical guides and how to be Batman books. And because actually in between those stories in, back in 1992 and this one, I've written four or five other Batman books. I did the, nice. novelis I did the novelization of The Dark Knight Rises. Yes. And yes. I also I novelized that. a bunch of DC comic storylines like 52 and Infinite Crisis and Final Crisis. So I, I had a stack of like, you know, who's who in DC books. and Right. And coffee table books on, you know, with maps of Gotham City already, you know, on shelf. I sort of, it was a case of sort of going in, okay, putting away the Star Trek reference books and pulling out this <laughs> Batman reference books. Right. <laughs> Guide to the Dark Knight and all those good reads. Yeah, exactly. And those are probably sitting on your shelf, Rob. Yeah, by Bob Greenberger. <laughs> you know, I, I, you know, well supplied in Batman stuff. You know, you mentioned this and I was at, this is part of my notes that you go back and forth between the history of what happened in the story into the present day and you did such an incredible job with going back and forth because it, you did such a great job at the part where it talks about 
the past, the history part of it. I wanted that part to keep going because I just loved how you just described it so well. And especially the love story between uh, the two characters, the love affair, I should say, between the two. And you made his wife sound like such a jerk. She was so mean to him. And <laughs> you did such a good job. Like I wanted the model, his mistress, I wanted them to be together because it was so true. And she, they just had such an appreciation for each other and for the art and what they brought to each other. Her as his muse and him as the artist, you, they, you just did such a great job of going back and forth, of oscillating between the past and then the history and making it all make sense. I love how you did that. I'm gratified to hear you that because I really enjoyed writing the whole historical storyline. But at the same time, I had to be careful there because I remember, you know, this is a Batman book and, you know, Batman's not in that stuff. So I write, you know, don't get carried away. People are going to buy this book. They're going to want Batman. They're going to want right. Batman. I want, you know, Christopher Gordon, this, 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 this turn of the century love story. <laughs> don't let it take, don't let it take over the book because, you know, but good. I'm glad that you didn't find it intrusive. Like, oh God, now we're going back to this turn of the century love story again, you know. Not at all, because, you know, nowadays you don't hear, because it was a story about a model and the sculptor, you don't really hear words like muse and like sculptors and her being, you don't really see that too much. And so I thought that was so interesting. That piqued my interest. So, no, you did a great job with that. Well, like I said, the the, the character whose name is escaping me, because I wrote this book like two years ago, um, <laughs> three, years, three years ago, I think, but... Um, Books take a long time to write, write, and then a long time to get <laughs> published. And this book has come out in hardcover and paperback since then. Yes. But yeah, the character is a composite of, there's a, the artist model is a composite of two real people. Um, Audrey Munson, who was the big artist model back in old New York back in the day. Okay. Um, who was a real person. I researched her. I read two biographies of her. I went, I went nuts researching that historical stuff. <laughs> and also Evelyn Nesbitt the girl in the red, on the Red Velvet Swing, who was also a famous, who was an actress, showgirl, who was also the center of an infamous sex scandal murder trial back in old New York days. Wow. She was played by Joan Collins in a movie uh, and figures into the plot of Ragtime. But, you know, in fact, I'll be honest, Audrey Munson is someone I've been wanting, I have a brainstorming file where I keep ideas. Okay. And doing something about Audrey Munson has been in my file for a long time before this Batman book came around. Because the thing about Audrey is she's all over New York City. Hmm. No one knows her name. You know, every, she was the in-demand. So every, you walk around New York City, you know, oh, there's a statue here, there's a statue here, a figure of wing justice here. It's Audrey. That every, so I had this idea, my God, she's this woman, she's all over New York and no one knows who she is. Right. Oh, that's a great plot. Maybe there's hidden messages hidden in the statues. And oh, that's a great idea for a plot, which I kind of was sitting in my brainstorming pile for years until Titan calls me, we'd like a Batman story, we'd like it about Court of Owls. And oh, we should d dive deep into you know the history and the secrets of Gotham City. Oh, this is my chance to finally <laughs> use that Audrey Munson idea. Right. Oh, you know, something, something that's sort of built into literally the foundations of Gotham City, that she's, you know, there everywhere. And no one is, oh, she mysteriously died back in the 1900s. Oh, great, you know. Um, so, yeah, I, I actually read like three biographies of Audrey Munson. That's awesome. A couple of books on Evelyn Nesbitt and kind of the, 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 the love triangle is kind of Evelyn Nesbitt, the whole business about there being this very popular model whose face and body is all over the city you know, in bronze and marble. I kind of smooshed the two characters together and that was my character in the book. 
Yeah, Lydia nice. Doyle was a character's name in the book. Lydia Doyle, the model. Lydia Doyle, thank you. Right. <laughs> Lydia, Lydia is Audrey Munson smooshed together with Evelyn Nesbitt. And I love that because it kept me wanting to turn the page. Like when you when you first established that her face is seen all over Gotham, I'm like, oh boy, I'm thinking they've got to find the hidden secret in every, you know, they went to different locations, different statues. And I, that really kept me, I mean, I got goosebumps now just talking about it because that really kept me intriguing. It's such a page turner. So you really kept me on the edge of my seat. And honestly, a lot of those statues are based on real statues in New York City. Wow, and I love that. You know, and I think Marvel does a good job of that, that they use, you know, Spider-Man lives in landmarks, yeah. you know, Spider-Man lives in Forest Hills. So I know what Forest Hills looked like. You know, you used uh, Washington Square Park in the Gamma Trilogy, you know, so I, I love that you do that. So that was really something yeah, that sort of is so awesome. it made it. Actually, the, the Gotham City in that book is a little bit New York. No, Gotham City has always been New York. Right, right. <laughs> and, and honestly, I worked in a little bit of Lancaster, PA, too, which is where I live now. So uh, we, there's a farmer in the book. There's a farmer's market in Gotham City. There's yes. Old time theater, which is based on one not far from where I live. Yes. Of, That's incredible. I there's, love there's that. Friday night art strolls. I like I was. Yes. Bringing in stuff from urban life, you know. That's great. And bringing in lots of New York history. I love that because I totally felt like I was there. That scene where they're walking, you know, in the farmer's market, they're, they're having like through an art stroll and they're just not wanting to be seen because they're not supposed to be together. I felt like I was with them. You know, you did such a great job of uh, doing that. I, in fact, I should probably mention this, this was part of three novels that Titan published. I think there was one book about the Joker and there was one book about Harley Quinn. And now what is that? One... Crazy Love? And what was the other ones, Mark? It was, it was Mad Love and Mad The Killing love. Joke. And the Killing Joke. Yeah, they did actually did novelizations of the killing of the Killing Joke. They did a novelization of Mad Love, and then we ended up doing an original novel about the Court of Owls. They were all of a piece, and you know, Steve was you know we want you to do the Court of Owls, and we'd like want a book, you know, steeped in Gotham City history. Well, shout out to Steve and everybody at Titans Books because you guys did such a great job. <laughs> and I so love Greg. I love, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. I love the artwork also. That's also what grabbed me. It's just that the, the cover book, the, the artwork yeah. is incredible. The girl, oh, wait, her name is on here. Hold on. Okay, well, I don't see her name, but the girl who did the cover, she is excellent. Natasha McKenzie. Yes, Natasha. Natasha McKenzie. She, yes. She, this, I mean, this is, uh, sometimes you do judge a book by its cover, but this was just excellent. I mean, she really did such a great job. Shout out to Natasha. <laughs> what were you so, say, Greg, Rob? you mentioned a little bit about the research you did for this book. Are there particular, both comic and more, I guess, for lack of a better descriptor, secular uh, writers that you read that kind of help, like, help you start planning this brainstorm and help you kind of create your stories? Oh, yeah, I, like I said, I, for the historical stuff in particular, because I wanted to do that naturally, I sort of inundated myself in historical mysteries and true crime. I went back and reread The Alienist by Caleb Carr. Ah. I read Ragtime by E.L. Doctorow. I tracked down the, on DVD from our local library, the movie version of Ragtime. And was, I kept, there were a few others, I was just sort of steeping myself. I found, hang on, I have a whole shelf over here. I'll show, I'll just show and tell. Please do. Uh, okay, this might interest you, yeah. Um, there's Audrey Munson, who is the real Lydia Doyle. Wow. And here is another book on Audrey Munson. Can you do nudity on your show? <laughs> here she Absolutely. is. Wow. Real Lydia Doyle, you know. That's incredible. Yes, she was, in fact, the face of a World's Fair. Her, her image was all, this is one of the sculptures they did of her at the World's Fair back in the day, you know. Wow. Nice. 
and I read uh, several books about the Evelyn Nesbitt crime of the century. And if you've heard of the girl of the Red Velvet Swing, this was a big notorious sex scandal where a young showgirl, wealthy man, her jealous, you know, stalker, it all ended in tears, you know, and this was the crime of the century back crime in Oakland, New York. I just love that. Uh... I think that uh, the the world's greatest detective, the Batman, that is like kind of lost. So the fact that you got a true crime novel mixed with like an underground syndicate with the Court of Owls, I think makes a recipe for success for sure. Because like, I, I feel like that true detective aspect of Batman is lost a lot nowadays. We wanted it to be a mystery novel. And yeah. although there's some larger than life stuff in the book, we were kind of staying away from Clayface or, mm -hmm. you know, Poison Ivy and Giant Vines everywhere, you know. Yeah. It's a little it's, fantastic near the end, but we were trying to do this more as a detective story. And you totally did that. I mean, I, I'm going through the scenes in my head where, you know, Batgirl is doing the research. It read like a detective show, you know what I'm saying? Like a Remington Steel yeah. or like a or like a Moonlighting. The way she spoke and was doing research, it was like a detective book. And that's something like Rich said is missing from the from the books nowadays. You gave us the action towards the end, you know, where in the in the old lair of the Court of Owls, and I love that. You know what I'm saying? And it's just it. You did such a great job. It was very much a detective book. And I just think it, that like Batman, because he's not a super powered individual he always had that the world's greatest detective attached to him. Like that was his superpower. And I just feel like nobody really focuses on that and uses that like they should. Well, you mentioned Barbara, we were talking about Barbara Gordon, I think before we started actually recording. Yes. Um, but yeah, one reason why Barbara is such a big deal is it made sense once she realized that this plot was all about digging into the history of Gotham and digging into Gotham's past and doing research. Well, you know, her whole Oracle persona, yeah, her, yeah. her former librarian roots. Yes. Right. It was only logical that in fact, that this was a plot that needed Barbara, you know. Mark's and, about to fanboy out here. I am, I am. I <laughs> love you know, that you did fact, that. Mostly it's about Barbara doing, Barbara as librarian, Barbara as research girl. Heck yeah. yeah. Near the end, exactly when the superhero action kicks in, I did feel obliged to put her, have her suit up and get in, to the action, but most of the book, I don't think I'm giving too much away. That she, she is, you know, she's heading the heading the research end of things, you know. And I totally appreciated that. Yeah, and it was pretty logical that oh, this book is about history. This book is about research. You have to include Barbara in that, you know. Oh, absolutely. And each character, every, every member of the Batman family, Gorch, Commissioner Gordon, Nightwing, Barbara, they all got a great amount of page time. You know, it was about the the history of the story it was about batman you know and and you taught you touched up on his roots that that previous story of his with the court of owls and how he was related to them and it, it, it goes to show you how even batman being the world's greatest detective as tough as he is kind of having a traumatic experience and how when he got to the old lair how he had flashbacks of how traumatized he was there the i don't know if you've read the original Court of Owls graphic novel, but yeah, Batman gets put through a ringer in that. Yes. Series, yeah. Woo! You know? um, and yeah, I read that those over over and over again. And yeah, so I, I yeah that that the setting there, which at the conclusion is taken straight from the graphic novel. And there was also at least one animated movie about the Court of Owls, and of course I tracked that one down and watched it over and over again for research. You know, and how's it actually, compared to the book? Um, 
focus. I mean, on I, mean, I, I, I honestly, I, honestly, I remember I watched the. I've read the graphic novel way more times than I've watched the DVD. I just get the DVD right. up in the library and watched it once. You know, and it was fun because you see see the see the characters in action and see them all move and get a sense sure. of how the talent operated. So, Greg, one of the like staple questions we ask everybody we talk to is. When did you first kind of fall in love with comics? There's a level which, honestly, I almost can't think remember back that far. I, 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 I it's hard to. My dad, you know, grew up on the superheroes and stuff, and made sure I was exposed to this stuff at an early age. Yeah, it, it's entire. I, I remember. I'm old enough to remember when comics were twelve cents a piece, and you bought them at the Rexall Drug. Wow. Nice, I am nice. not old enough to remember dime comics, but I remember when they were 12 cents. <laughs> um, like I said, we were joking earlier, I remember the comic book that's behind Mark's head. Um, Cause I remember buying that at like 7-Eleven as a kid. <laughs> nice. and I also, but it's also very possible, I can't be sure what came first, that I may have first encountered Batman via the old Adam West TV show. Yeah. I, I remember watching that as a kid when it was new. And that's terrifying because I do the math and I realized, oh my God, I was six years old. You know, <laughs> I was watching that. In fact, I remember going to see the feature film version in the theaters. Mm. And again, I must have been six. Okay. We were, I was chatting with some friends on Facebook recently. And we were like, what was the first movie you, you remember seeing in the theaters? And I think it may very well have been Batman. Batman 66. Wow. Heck yeah. I, think it may, and I was thinking, was, was it Chi Chi Bang Bang? Was it Dr. Doolittle? I don't know. Those were all later. No, that was, oh my God, I was six years old. And you know, six I remember having old, trouble man. following the plot. Now, I always thought the plot of the movie was too confusing. And now I'm thinking, well, maybe the problem wasn't that the plot of the movie was confusing. Maybe the problem was I was six years old. <laughs> <laughs> what the hell is shark repellent bat spray? Yeah. <laughs> now, how about the fact that we can be reduced to a handful of sand, right? And fit into a test. Yes. But and where did the apparatus go when they got rehydrated, right? I, I can testify the fact that us kids at that time did not really pick up on how <laughs> campy it was. That we right. were it deadly. I mean, we got some of the jokes, you know. Yeah. But no, you you know, oh, oh, no, no. Oh, my God. How is Batman going to get out of it now? You know. Same Greg, time, we, we've channel. talked about yeah. it. We've talked about it a bunch on this show. Is like our, like, first you experienced it when it first debuted we experienced it when it re-debuted when tim burton's 89 hit theaters yeah. and that's how like we were exposed to it and i know i could speak for both rob and i like we didn't think it was campy we thought it was cool yeah. <laughs> like even yeah even in that was 31 89. years ago the the, the the tim burton oh right. it was yeah 31 man years ago, 31 years ago yeah all right I, I actually remember that vividly because in fact that was the weekend my brother got married wow <laughs> and i was actually very good and i waited until after all the wedding and the receptions and the rehearsals to go see. I was gonna say that sounds like a perfect bachelor party event you know yeah. go see the movie Sadly, you're a very good brother you know <laughs> right. and I, I saw it i remember i saw it sunday afternoon after the wedding okay <laughs> well after my you, brother and his uh, new sister-in-law were safely off on their honeymoon you know now i need to be entertained yeah. you've uh you've written for you've written both books for marvel and dc we uh, we kind of have it like split down the middle on this podcast where we we still have our debates do you have a favorite greg <laughs> honestly I, I i tend to resist the whole marvel versus dc thing and partly because like i said i've worked for both and you know don't want to make um, any blatant statements. I understand. They, 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 <laughs> they, they, they aren't. I mean, the idea that you have to choose a side, 
Uh, I mean, they aren't polit rival political parties. They aren't rival sports teams. I mean, right. there's no rule. You have to sort of, you know, swear allegiance to one side. I, I will say, historically, growing up as a kid, I liked DC better. And then in teen, when I was a teenager, I became a full-bore Marvel zombie and only read Marvel. Right. And then in college, around the time the crisis on Infinite Earths started shaking up, shaking up, you know, um, you know, DC universe, I started reading DC again and yeah. waffle back and forth. And then, I think these days, honestly, there's not much difference in terms of tone or, you know, there was really a time not. in the 60s where, yeah, I think 60s and 70s, yeah, where DC comics were written for kids and Stan took Marvel for real life. Marvel comics, <laughs> yes. all the angst were more geared towards angsty teenagers, you know. Nowadays, it's the same. I mean, you know, you have the same writers and artists going back and forth, back and forth. The style, they both have sides of the same. I don't, I don't think you can say that, oh, DC stuff was simpler, Silver Age fair, and Marvel stuff right. is more sophisticated. It's, it goes back and forth, you know. And I think yeah, that, around uh, the time of Crisis and Infinite Earths, I remember kind of sucked me back into DC. Yeah. Suddenly, all this interesting stuff going on in DC, and you had Frank Miller and Watchmen and The Dark Knight Rises and Kim Truman's Hawkworld series. I got sucked back into DC, you know. Nice. And now I just sort of sample both because there's you know way too much to read. I go back and forth. Sure. And go down the comic book shop and I'll pick up the new issue of Batman. And I'll pick up the new issue of Doctor Strange and I have my favorite characters. Do you have an all-time favorite, like personally? Because oh. I'm sure as you could see from from the video, uh, Batman here, Superman here, and everything Marvel over here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, besides the ST, I'll be. I have favorites. Okay, on DC, besides the obvious, which is Batman. Um, my man. I have a great and irrational passion for the Spectre. Okay, mm -hmm. nice. We don't hear about him too Spectre, often. No. And if, if ever they uh, make a Spectre movie and I do not get to write the novelization, I will be seriously pissed. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, I've only gotten to write the Spectre a couple of times. He pops up briefly in Infinite Crisis and I think Final Crisis. But no, for some reason, the, the, the Spectre pushes my button. I think because he's, he's horror and he's superhero, so he's like my two favorite things mixed together. So yeah. it's like, you know, he's the Reese's peanut butter character of, mm -hmm. you know, you know, spooky ghost stuff. I'm a big horror fan too. So spooky ghost stuff and, you know, comic book superhero stuff all in one package. Nice. I have a distinct weakness for these spooky heroes. Over on the DC side, I like Dr. Fate and Zatanna and that bunch. Yep. And over on the Marvel side, Dr. Strange. And in fact, recently, this is funny, I was digging, I was cleaning out my parents old house i found a bunch of old fanfic i wrote marvel comics fanfic i wrote when i was 15. Nice. Wow. and it was about all the old marvel monster characters oh, okay. uh, morbius you know the living yeah. man yeah. thing and son of man Satan, thing yeah. werewolf by night and uh, apparently i i remember being obsessed with these characters in like high school so yeah i found a whole stack of yeah, Marvel monster fan fiction I wrote. So long before the Iron Trap or any of that, I was right. writing you know, Marvel monster fan fiction in high school. Wow, so, it was meant to be. Mm -hmm. Is there a favorite place you'd like to write? Is there a particular place that you write in your house or a place you'd like to go when you write? Well, I, I mostly I write in my office. Um, although when it comes to plotting the books, I often, well, back pre-pandemic, I used to you know, I, I did the cliche thing of going out and camping out in Starbucks or something, you know. Right, hear that white And indeed, in the once the lockdown started, I had a little trouble because I was very used to, okay, now I have to sit down and plot out a book. Yeah. No, I'm sort of, you know, doing it in my living room with the phone ringing and the cat and, you know. <laughs> no, I'm used to, you know, going and planting myself down in a coffee shop or something. 
I had to sort of train myself to get the brainstorming circuits going even while sitting at home, you know. But at, but I can't actually write. That kind of case, you know, when I'm actually writing, I go into my office, I close the door, and I put on, you know, the appropriate soundtrack album, you know, and I listen to, you know, the Tim Burton Batman theme. Oh, I'm just going to say Wow. <laughs> I think There's some Danny writing, Elfman up in there. And I think the whole time I was writing Court of Owls, I was listening to the Danny Elfman theme. I was listening to the music from Batman Begins, et cetera, you know. Heck yeah. Or when I'm writing Star Trek, I'll go and, you know, put on my, you know, Wrath of Khan soundtrack and, you know. <laughs> Yeah, Star Trek music, you know. I wanted to ask you, did you ever uh, have that moment, that pinch me moment where you're like, I've, I've got a published book. It's awesome. Like, can you describe that feeling? Did you ever have that? Oh, yeah, I still have that. You, you think at this point, you know, it, it's horrifying to realize I've been doing this for a quarter of a century now. Nice. But no, I still get excited when I've got a book coming out. I, I haunt my front porch waiting for the copies to show up. Nice. And I am very appreciative of how lucky it is I get to like, do this stuff for a living. But I can, I can think of a couple of moments. One for Marvel, one for DC. Okay. I actually got to write an issue of Spider-Man. And I actually got to, my issue of Spider-Man featured Morbius the Living Vampire. Nice. And there was a part that, oh my God, after writing all that Morbius fanfic at high school, I actually sold an <laughs> actual Morbius story to DC, to, I'm sorry, to Marvel, and it was published and it was framed on my wall for a while. Yes. It's not framed at the moment because, like I said, we moved recently, but it's in storage. But no, trust me, that, 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 that one issue of Spider-Man with Morbius on the cover was framed in my office for years. Heck so yeah. There was another moment when I was writing the novelization of Final Crisis based on the miniseries by Grant Morrison. Yep. There's a scene in that book where Wonder Woman fights the Frankenstein monster. And I remember having this sort of, you know, moment, epiphany of, Oh my God, I am getting paid to write a fight between Wonder Woman and Frankenstein. Yeah. <laughs> Somewhere my inner, if I could go back in time and tell my inner 13-year-old that someday you will get paid to, 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 to get to write a fight between Wonder Woman and Frankenstein, you know? That is awesome. Wow. And so great. There, you know. Can you say a little bit more about why writing? What got you into that? Um, you know, it's very funny. This is, it's a bit of a circuitous route, so I have to keep this short. In hindsight, <laughs> it seems inevitable. I remember as a kid writing this stuff, writing my own little storybooks. Like I said, I was writing Marvel Comics fanfic in, in, when I was 15, for God's sakes. Right. But not... But oddly enough, I didn't even, I never thought about becoming a writer and sure. doing it for a living until near the end of college. Um, believe it or not, I actually have my degree in chemistry. Wow. That's I, awesome. got a, I did not take English. I, I went to college, got a degree in chemistry because I didn't, what happened, the short version is I, start, I discovered organized fandom in college, like via my college science fiction club. And nice. I started going to conventions. And it's very weird. It was a sort of weird brain flip where, you started seeing in person and meeting actual writers and editors. Mm -hmm. And somehow it makes this flip that, oh, this is a thing. And right, people yeah. do this. And it's not like, I, you know, intellectually, of course, I knew that books didn't grow on trees, that there were right. authors. But suddenly, oh, that's Paul Anderson. That's Fonda McIntyre. How do, and they're doing panels and they talk about, oh, and there are agents and there are editors and you submit things and you, you know, and suddenly it became sort of like this idea that, oh, you do this, you know, and this is an option. I, you know, all my fanfic, this is, this, this is pre-internet. I didn't even post it on the internet. I just scribbled it in my, you know, notebooks. Right, right. Yeah. My spiral notebooks and stuck them in a closet somewhere. You know, um, oh, 
And so I, I started sending out stories and got a lot of rejection slips, but started selling just enough. And I suddenly realized, that, oh, wait a minute, you know, that, on, on, that honestly, I was kind of doing the chemistry thing because it seemed like a practical, sensible thing to do. You go, sure. you, you, right. you go to college and you learn a trade and you, you know. Right. I tell you, I'm spending all my time at the science fiction club. I was taking <laughs> lots of fun, creative writing classes for fun. They were my fun electives. But you, know, you do that for fun. Right. But it's like, time oh, wait a minute. Why? So the stuff I'm enjoying is actually the stuff I'm taking for fun. Right. Whereas the chemistry stuff I'm doing because it seems like they're smart. And I'm a good student. I got, you know. But honestly, I was a mediocre chemist. <laughs> and I remember there was a moment I was, I was getting ready to graduate where I looked at my transcript. I'm going, wait a minute, I've got like straight A's in all my English courses and all my creative writing classes that I took for fun. Right, right, right. And I've got B's and C's in my chemistry courses. <laughs> you know, I think, okay, I'm off track here somewhere, you know. And I kind of got some positive signs and, and from that. that. And at that point, I had enough time. Okay, fine, I'm going to get my damn chemistry degree because I've spent four years to do it, you know. Right, yeah. You know, but I, I think at that point I was already kind of realizing that, oh, my heart is not in this. Indeed, and I'm spending all my time over at the Sci-Fi Club organizing Sci-Fi Film Festivals and conventions and talking to, and doing conventions and talking to writers and artists and, you know. But and I, you're, uh, I when you're doing the Sci-Fi thing. this sort of, you know, like I said, epiphany in my head that I had to sort of meet people and see them and talk to them and see them as Get some exposure. people who, who, and some of them lived in my city. And, you, know, wow. they, you know, they ate pretzels, you know, whatever, you know. Human beings, what the hell is happening? And I, I, I got to know them and you talk, and, and I got, you know, you talk to them and they talk about, oh, well, I have an agent and I submitted stories and I sold, I, I sold a couple stories to Amazing Stories Magazine. Nice. Wow. I was picking some in and, you know wow, wow, I actually wrote stories and people are buying them, you know, so cool, you know. So I have to ask, because I hear a lot about, you know, authors and writers that struggle through those rejections. Like what kind of keeps, you know, you going kind of early on when you got the rejection slips, kind of kept your joy in the writing to kind of keep pursuing that and keep pursuing. Good question. Yeah, well, yeah good question. Like I said, you know, um, I was selling just enough stories to sort of, you know, keep, you know, to, to, to sort of give me a little positive feedback there. Now, and yeah, mm-hmm. I went through my, I did the obligatory, you know, starving, I did my starving author years where I was bussing tables and right. working, you know, fast food places. Wow. I, I, I bust tables at the SeaTac airport in Seattle for longer than I want to think about. <laughs> um, I, I, I worked as a phlebotomist for a while, draining blood from winos in a Skid Row Plasma Center, you know. Oh my gosh. Wow. Holy <laughs> shit. <laughs> but, you know, but like I said, you know, and then I'd want to go home, rush home, and I would write, you know. And I do remember, it was a funny story. I remember I sold sort of my book story. I still remember I sold it to a semi-fans, semi-pro zine called Fantasy Book, and I got $55. I still oh, remember a check for $55. Wow. And this was this was a la- this was a windfall when you're a starving college student. Oh yeah. And I remember thinking, wow, this is great. You know, it took me like you know a couple of days to write this story. <gasps> you know what? If I write one story a week, fifty five dollars a week, I'm going to be cleaning up. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Yeah. And I didn't tell another story again for six months. You know. <laughs> oh jeez. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it doesn't. You don't automatically sell every story. Okay, you know. So do you? 
do you kind of, and this might be like a cliche question, but do you get like the writer's block and what do you do to kind of maybe push through that if that's something that happens to you? Yeah. Um, I don't often, in fact, for years I used to be smug about it and say, oh, I don't have writer's block. Um, you know. Unless you're moving. If you're a tie-in writer, you can't afford to have writer's block. You know, that's those <laughs> artsy-fartsy folks have writer's block. I, you know. Although there, I do remember there was a period, I don't want to get into it. There was a period where I did, I think, just wrote a whole bunch of books in a row and just kind of needed a break, you know. And yeah. had to kind of like, okay, I'm actually feeling a little burned out and I need to sort of stop and recharge my batteries. But I, because you know, a lot of times you're writing these books on tight, tight deadlines. I write three or four books a year or something. Yeah, it's like, right. yeah. I do remember one time, which I don't want to dwell on, where I did sign, can't realize I'm starting to feel a little burned out and I need to sort of stop and, and call me, hey, you know, I, I, I need to go, you know, hang out and, you know, visit. Right. I need to get out of the back cave. Get out of the back cave for a little while, you know, <laughs> and recharge my batteries and come back right. and, you know, start writing again. Well, now that I actually, because, you know, before I actually got a chance to meet you and talk to you, I, I got to tell you, since having read now that you do so well with the Batman family, I got to tell you, I don't know what what book you have lined up next or what other projects you're working on, but I highly recommend that you should do a Birds of Prey book. Um, because, because <laughs> I would love, I'm telling you, uh, listen, I loved, I loved the Court of Owls so much. I went out and bought three copies for people that I know. And I told Rich's wife to go out and buy it. That's how much I love it. We have it. We have it. We got it. We got it uh, yeah. yesterday. That's how it. much I love it. I think you should do a Birds of Prey book because you did Barbara Gordon. Mark's making requests. I think you okay. should. I'm just, I'm just putting it out there. I'm just putting it out there. I think you should do it. I, I will tell you one thing. At one point, I wanted to work Catwoman in the Court of Owls because I love Catwoman. Yes. But eventually, we made the executive decision. The book was getting crowded, and there just was okay. It was I sort of okay. There's you know the, the gratuitous Catwoman scenes had to get cut out. You know, <laughs> didn't actually write them. At one point in the outline, there was trying to get Catwoman in there. Well, you know, the plot is getting a bit crowded, and there's the only reason Catwoman was in there was because I really wanted to do Catwoman. Okay. <laughs> you did mention her by name. You mentioned Selena a couple of times. Hey, if you look carefully, I mentioned the Spectre at one point. There's a throwaway reference to Jim Corrigan, at least. Nice. Yes. So yes. By name, and I, there is yes. a throw again. There, there, there's, there's a throw oh, Easter egg. reference to Easter Jim egg. That was just me doing indulging my inner fanboy there. You know. <laughs> I well, I have to say, if Mark is recommending self-indulgent, but okay, what the hell? You know? <laughs> <laughs> I got to reference Jim Corrigan. You know. That's right. If Mark is recommending Birds of Prey, that shows a lot of trust because the yeah. boy is picky as hell, and like Birds <laughs> of Prey picky. is like one of his top books. So. I'm very picky. I'm very picky. And, you know, the artist and the writer and the paper has to be right yeah. for me to buy it. If it's not, then I'm not buying it. No, sir, I'm not doing it. So you mentioned that you, uh, that your town is a walkable town. That there's a comic book store in your town. Do you frequent that store? Yes, I do. Do you? Nice. What kind of, what kind of things are you looking at these days? Oh, well, in fact, I should give a plug. It is the comic store. It's called the Comic Store. Okay. Here in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, and it's up by the Amtrak train station. So. Oh, nice. nice. Yeah. So now, like like I said, things got a little disrupted recently due to current events. You know. Yeah. Um, no, I like to see. Oh God, what, what did I pick up the other day? I, I, I've been, you know. I've been enjoying the Batman stuff. I uh, just picked, I haven't actually read it yet. The other day I picked up the first issue of Strange Academy and haven't had a chance to read it from Marvel, which is, again, 
I'm a sucker for anything that brings in the occult characters. Yeah, I've been reading right. Justice League Dark. Dark. I was just about to say that's that's, yeah, that's probably right I, up your alley. I've been Justice League Dark. I've been reading Strange Academy. And I remember DC had a series. I'm blanking on the title about a year ago, which was also a school for young magic users in the DC universe that had John Cast Constantine and my guy Jason Blood and Satana and everything. I enjoyed that a lot. Uh, yeah, I'm going blank here, but you know. Did that have etrogen in it also? It had, it had to have etrogen in it. And Got Mr. It. E and, you know, yeah. all those, those you know, characters from Books of Magic and everything. So you mentioned that you were in the sci-fi club. Yes. What's your favorite sci-fi movie of all time? Hard to choose, but off the top of my head. Okay, top three. Of my head, uh, <laughs> the original Planet of the Apes, 1968. Nice. 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 Yeah. I, hear I, I admit there's a part of me that feels very disloyal for not saying The Wrath of Khan. But okay, The Wrath of Khan <laughs> is my all-time favorite Star Trek movie. But you know. There you go. So let me ask you this. What is your all-time favorite bad sci-fi movie? Ooh, like yeah. your guilty pleasure that everybody's oh, yeah. like, that oh, is well, just awful. Well, well I, I kind of resist the idea of guilty pleasures if you enjoy it. But okay, um, I like Barbarella. I have a suck. I have seen Barbarella more times than I want to admit. Oh like, boy! Dialogue from Barbarella. Oh boy! <laughs> yeah. Do decrucify that angel, or I'll melt your face. I swear to God, <laughs> nice. they don't make dialogue like that. And okay, the 1980s Flash Gordon too. Okay. Yeah. All right. And I'll be honest. The first time I saw it, I remember as I, you know, I, oh God, I would have been 20 years old when I saw it. I was a little disappointed because I went to it expecting a straight movie and didn't realize it was as campy as it was. Right. Yeah. But now I have embraced it. Now it's on TV and, oh God, I have to watch the whole thing. And the dialogue <laughs> is burned into my head, you know. No, no, not the boar worms, you know. Uh, <laughs> you know. Uh, yeah. There's also an old werewolf movie, The Beast Must Die, hmm. which is basically a holy combination of 10 little Indians, um, you know, Agatha Christie, most dangerous game, and the wolf man where okay, okay a bunch of people in a country estate one of them is a werewolf who is it gotcha. I, I i love probably beyond its virtues you know right. <laughs> movies, in my mind like i said I, I i'm not guilty about any of these but there are movies sure. that you recommend with reservation there you oh, go that, that, yes it's like, spoken oh, like a true writer <laughs> i don't want to overhype this movie too much i'm, I'm gonna use that term that it's near and dear to my heart but it's <laughs> write it down not Mark. the wrath of Khan. it's not forbidden planet you know i'm gonna use that term i'm recommending this with reservation <laughs> it, it, it is well this is why i like the word favorite the favorite and best are not because yeah what's 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 the best movie well the best movie your your the best movies and your favorite movies are not the same and I, I actually right. like what are your 10 favorite movies because that tends to be more idiosyncratic and right. so I ask you for your 10 best movies you feel kind of obliged to oh well you know 2001 you know whatever no your favorite movies are you know okay you know the Beast Must Die, Brides of Dracula, you know. Uh, right. I love that you mentioned, you've mentioned uh, several times uh, Star Trek, The Wrath of Khan. And as you, I'm a huge Trekkie myself. Trekkie boy over here. I'm a huge Trekkie. <laughs> and I love, and I just got goosebumps because my favorite scene in that whole movie is because I believe that originally Khan had only appeared in, I think, either one or two, it was like a two-part, yeah. ep one, one episode Space seed space. is what the space seed, and it was only one episode that he was in. But my favorite—I just got goosebumps. My favorite scene, my favorite scene in the movie <laughs> is when Khan appears on screen and Kirk rises up and he goes, 
Khan because he hadn't yeah. seen him in so long and it just dawns on him like, like you know what I'm saying? That is, I just got goosebumps. That is my favorite scene because he, it just hit him like a ton of Khan. You know what I'm saying? As he raises up out of his seat because he was totally not expecting that because he thought that oh. he left them on that planet. You know what I mean? So that was, yeah, that's, that's a, one of my favorites also. Well, this is where I'm, in fact, going to be shamelessly self-promotional. I, I, I wrote an entire trilogy about Khan. Mark, uh, write it down. <laughs> Which, My so, Amazon cart is already, like, full to the yeah. rim with all your work. I'm not so, kidding. You, know, so, yeah, you just I, filled I, it up. You just I, filled I, it up. I, I did three whole novels about Khan, so I am the Khan guy. Khan okay. Is, well, it's done. I used to have a whole temple to <laughs> said it's done. The Hallmark figure and the action figures. In fact, this is where I brag. In fact, I am actually a bonus feature on The Wrath of Khan. Really? Do you? I'm, a, I'm one of the bonus features because I was the Khan expert there for a while. So nice. Oh, nice. About Khan, you know. <laughs> so, so I got to ask then, what did you think of Into Darkness? Um, I thought Benedict Cumberbatch was great. Um, yeah. And I generally, I generally like the reboot movies, although honestly, I think that's probably the weakest of the three. I like the yeah. Agreed. and I like Beyond. Probably, you know, the plot's a bit of all over the place. And I'll be honest, I've only seen it once. Yeah. I, you know, Benedict Cumberbatch you know, is wonderful and he's very compelling as Khan. Um, I, I remember, and I'm hesitant to talk too much, but honestly, I've only seen it once. I saw it when it came out many years ago. But I remember it was just, you know, the, the, you know I had some issues with it. Just, you know. What I loved about the original Wrath of Khan is because I think that what I didn't like about the, the newer Into Darkness is that there was no connection. Yeah. You know, with Wrath of Khan, we had the connection to that oh, episode, and now, yeah. yeah, and we were so connected to it. So I'm, I, I'm, I'm not kidding you, like, I'm gonna have to delete some stuff from my Amazon cart to make room for that because I'm totally buying you. So I didn't know that you had that. So now I'm the trilogy. So now I'm totally buying all three books now. So thank you for that. Well, Mark, you bring up a good point because I think this is something that I. I'm gonna be shamelessly self promotional here again. Please do. Please do. I love it. Greg is going to his bookshelf right now. I forgot that you were a Trekkie, Mark. I am. He's a Trekkie over Star Wars. Well, I won't grab all of them, but yes. Look at this big, thick book about Khan. Oh, wow. Nice. So, yeah, I, I did Khan's pretty much, I did two books about the eugenics wars. Okay. Which is, you know, the stuff, you know, prior to Space Seed. Right. About, you know, the famous genetic, you know, eugenics wars in the 1990s. You remember the eugenics wars in the 1990s, right? Uh, we do, we do. <laughs> yeah, we all lived through them, okay. Yes, uh-huh. right. <laughs> and then I did another volume, To Rain in Hell, which is all about Khan's 15-year exile on CDL 55. Yes. Nice. Sort of, you know, so the first two books take place before Space Seed, and the third book take, it takes place in the gap between Space Seed and The Wrath of Khan, about, you know, those 15 horrible years on CD Alpha 5. Wow. Mark, you're going to be busy for a couple of weeks, bro. I'm going to be busy. I'm going to be busy. <laughs> so, Mark, one thing, you, you made a good point that there was no connection. I think I'm usually a fan of Abrams, but I think some of his, like, connections are kind of check in the box. So, like, it was all, let's dial up Leonard Nimoy and ask him, right? Like, that was pretty much the connection and in Into Darkness. And I think what they reversed who kind of died right because didn't i've only seen yes. the original once because it was spock that died Correct. and and they flipped that at the end to kind Correct. of 
keep with the reboot kind of does things differently. Right. Well, Greg, do you have a favorite comic book convention that you visited frequently? Okay. Well, um, I'm not sure about comic books. Um, one of my favorite conventions, which sadly I should be at next week, but won't be, is mm. Shirley. And that's a Star Trek convention nice. that's held in Hunt Valley, Maryland. Okay. And I, I, honestly, it's my favorite convention to me because it's, it's, I've, I've been attending it religiously for years. And honestly, a lot of us Trek writers show up every year. I, I, I refer to it as our annual high school reunion. Heck yeah. <laughs> wow. We all, all, all of us Trek authors hang out and we get to, you know, and it's a very nice local convention that I've been going to for decades now. Nice. Uh, locally, I just, it, it, this is killing me. I, I live in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, and we have a local comic book convention called, I hope I can pronounce it right. It's also an anime convention, and I'm old, and I don't know anime. Um, Zenkikon, Zenkikon. And, it's, okay. and I am crushed because it was going to be back in March, and I was going to be one of the guests of honors, and honestly, that didn't happen, you know. Yeah. But yeah, Zenkikon, Zenkikon seems to be a nice convention. I visited it a couple of times. This was the first year I was going to be on the programming, and that didn't happen, you know. But yeah, we're all always next time. A lot of stuff. Yeah. Yep. But and like I said, there's Shore Leave, which was actually I think like, you know coming up in you know beginning of July, which is one of my staple conventions. And so, in fact, Mark and I were talking. We were both up at WinterCon in November. Yes. The last convention I attended before everything ground to a halt. Yeah. was in fact WinterCon up in New York City, which I was there because for the Farscape pr programming, because I right. used to edit the Farscape, no Farscape novels. But um, Do you think you'll come this year? Because if you do, I'm totally there again. <laughs> I, would, I had a great time. It's up to them again to inviting me, assuming it all happens and everything. But right. you know, no, I had a great time at uh, ZenkiCon. It was a fun you know, convention. Um, I, I'm not sure what their programming is. This year they were doing... It was the 20th anniversary of Farscape, which was a science fiction show from the 90s. Yep, yep. And I got drafted to be the MC of all the Farscape-related programming. That's so, cool. You know, I'm not sure what they're doing this year, you know. But no, I had a great time. And I guess, sadly, Mark and I were both there, so apparently we passed like ships in That's the night. That's what I'm saying. Were yeah. you doing the panel? doing the panel when Mark was trying to get I was, your autograph. I was, I was out doing the panels, but not at my autographing table when. You know. <laughs> Mark came on the show the more often than one. We recorded that episode and Mark's like, I didn't get to meet Greg. Damn it. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's actually, yeah. Because I'm the one that travels. I to went cons for Greg. I did. I went specifically <laughs> for you, but I, I'm certain that I'll pass across in person. I'm certain. Exactly. Um, I, it's been a few years. I, I have on occasion gone to the New York comic con, but not for the last few years. Cause that's kind of a trip and everything, you know? Yeah. And good God. Is that, that good God, the, the size that, that's a zoo, you know, that that's, that's intimidating. These big giant cons. That is know. the mother load, man. Besides San Diego, man, we've been to New York. How many times you've been, Rob? Like twice. Three, twice. Rob has been twice. You've been three times. Yeah, three times. I, I've been to. You know, it's it's weird. I don't know. Conventions are my happy place. They are my comfort zone. But even <laughs> some of those bigger ones. I remember the last time I went to New York Comic Con, not to be naked. Oh God, I felt like you know, Okay, I'm gonna get trampled to death. Yes. You know, yes. Like rampaging hordes of Harleyquins or something. You know. <laughs> yeah. I'm kind of used to smaller conventions where you could just oh I'm gonna wander on down to the dealer's room and I oh no here I felt like I need a machete to fight my way. <laughs> right. You know I remember I had a meeting I was supposed to meet somebody. You need a segue to get through all the people. 
I, I had a coffee a meeting. I was supposed to meet some people, I think, I think at the coffee shop to discuss business. And it was like, oh, I've got plenty of time. I'll just stroll over. Oh my God. <laughs> Elbow to, I, I, I'm not going to be able to make my meeting, you know. Help, I'm stuck in Artist Alley and I can't move, you know. It's true. When we go, we make, we have designated corners like meet me yeah. under banner 2500 remember that like we yes. have to meet yeah it's insane so i find that you have to have like wander around look for my friends no that ain't gonna happen in no America. right <laughs> i find that i really enjoyed it when i actually had things i was looking for the second time i went i didn't have really a hunting list or anything and it was just not as enjoyable at all pandemonium <laughs> i got to focus more i was more aware of the crowd when I'm not like focused on what do I need to find? What do I need to hunt for? Yeah, it was like night and day. Wow. Well, they haven't canceled New York yet, so it might still happen this year. I don't know, man. We'll see. I have yet to do the San Diego thing. I suppose, you know, on my bucket list, I should do it someday, but it, it's also a bit intimidating, you know. Yeah. Yes. You also, again, you have to require some planning just to get a room in advance. Yeah, that's what I hear. The travel is is expensive. It's hard to find a hotel. It's hard to line anything up, at man. One point, at one point several years ago, I was actually invited. It was at the International Association of Media Tie-In Writers. Yes, there is an international association. <laughs> of wow, <media>. yeah, right. <laughs> uh, invited me to attend one of their events at the convention, and I actually you know, next month. And I was like, uh, is that even doable to just decide right. I'm going to fly out to San Diego? No, it was not really doable. You wow. know, there was no room at the end. There was no <laughs> exactly at any of the ends. <laughs> Greg, I have to tell you that this really, this conversation, I know we, we, we told you it'd be about an hour. So you have really, this has just been a dream come true. I really appreciate the fact that you took time and talked to us. Your work is amazing. I mean, I'm not kidding you. I now have more books of yours to read and you're, you are my favorite writer and I can't wait for more of your books to come out. Can you tell us what other projects are you working on before we end? Sure. And incidentally, I really, I'm enjoying and appreciating this because like I said, we're all locked down. I'm not getting out and doing book signings and conventions like I would be. So, you know, you, you know, I look forward, usually I am at home locked up. It's nice to get out and talk to readers and fans, which I'm not really Heck getting yeah. much these days, or at least only virtually. We're no, glad we could it, rescue you. Yeah, it's a dream come true to talk to you. It's such a privilege to talk to you tonight. Really, thank you so much. But okay, uh, honestly, the next book I have coming out is in November. Okay. Awesome. Um, it is a Star Trek novel. Okay. The full title is Star Trek, the original series, a contest of principles. And it comes out November 10th. Okay. And Done. Fact, my agenda for this Done. coming week <laughs> is to go back and do one last proofread of the second pass galleys. This is my sort of last chance to do a spot check and make sure all the titles got fixed. Nice. Which means some titles will elude me. But, you know, <laughs> no, it, it, the book is finished. It comes out in November. I'm doing the, literally the last final proofread on it this week before I put it to bed forever. You know, nice. so, and awesome. that's, that's the only thing that's been announced that I can actually talk about at the moment. Awesome. Well, I will be on the lookout for that. And I thank you again so much. Really, it is such a privilege to talk to you. We really appreciate you taking out the time with us. And again, everybody... Batman, The Court of Owls, it's out. It's excellent. Go out and get it. You did Absolutely. such an incredible job. And I thank you so much again for talking to us tonight. Oh, wait, I should mention one. And should mention also just to be even handed here. <laughs> yeah, you know, get them out. Yeah. I, 
my old X-Men Avengers trilogy we talked about has recently been reissued. So nice. from Titan Books. So there it is. Thank, Thank you, you again. Sir. It was an honor. Thanks, Greg. Really. We really do appreciate it, buddy. Honestly, take care of yourself and thank you so much. And I look forward to your future works. Absolutely. Stay safe. All right, guys. So that was Greg Cox. Um, I hope you guys really enjoyed that interview. That was awesome. And uh, I kind of left some of the audio before the actual interview started because we were, Rob was having some technical issues with his computer, but uh, it was really cool to just kind of shoot the shit with him. And uh, he was in New York when 9-11 happened and, uh, you know, he was at a convention the day before. I thought it was really cool. So I hope you enjoyed that little kind of before the interview discussion that we had beforehand. So I'm telling you, that was such a treat talking to him. He was so awesome. And I hope I do see him again at a con or something because I want him to sign all my books because he's just such an awesome, awesome writer. Yeah. I have the court of owls book. I just got it a couple days ago. So I need to get into that and uh, read it from front to back and uh, sounds really, really good. Uh, I'm not kidding you. It's like one of the best books I've read in a long time. That's awesome. I'm glad that uh, we got a chance to speak to your favorite author there, Mark. I know you've been talking about him for a while. So um, if you guys got any questions, uh, please, please feel free to uh, send us an email at Heroes Home Base at Gmail and or, or hit us up on Facebook. I know that uh, we're, uh, we're going to get back to our who would win segment here really soon. Uh, we just, we got a whole plethora of special guests and uh, we just really wanted to dig into those and focus on those. So that's all coming back. We didn't forget about it. So something that comes to mind, um, just a way for folks to get more engaged. I would love to hear just kind of our listeners recommendations on stuff that they're reading. Cause I don't know, I've, I've shared this on the last few episodes kind of having some downtime, I put that in quotes, um, <laughs> yeah. and reconnecting with comics and uh, reading a lot more than I have. And I'm not joking, like a decade. Um, I guess it's just really rejuvenated my love for just reading these characters. And I would just love to hear what our uh, listeners are actually reading and what they would recommend, be it like a Greg Cox novel or, you know, some uh, some books at the local comic shop, so. Well, I know that I just got my uh, my latest poll from the Ogre and uh, the newest book that just came out that's probably going to be at the top of everybody's list is Death Metal. Scott Snyder is continuing his metal series, and I know that's been the biggest thing. And I know that uh, uh, Batman 92, and I think 93 is out now too, When this, whenever this episode gets posted. And it's kind of got the backstory of the punchline character. So uh, Batman is still a hot, hot, hot book right now. So, uh, yeah, so we'll continue to, uh, get some, we got, we got a, we have a really good list of, uh, guests that are going to be on the show here pretty soon. And I can't wait to, to talk about them. So you guys got anything else, any teasers or anything like that? <laughs> I think I might've teased it a little bit right there. Mark sweat. No, I'm just, uh, <laughs> trying to stay, uh, trying not to get overwhelmed. There's just a lot of reading that uh, I actually wants to do so right exactly a lot of reading that i want to do i was excited dude boys because i got my poll like i just said and uh i finally got uh daredevil number 20 it's the first since the pandemic and the shutdown of diamond and all that it's the first time that i've gotten my first daredevil book since march maybe yeah so i know i've been really really high on chip sadarsky's daredevil book and yeah, I'm excited to read that. So, Richard, where are you reading these books these days? Are you like in the, the gold chair? Or are you out on your new 
like fire pit ring? Like where are you, where are you reading these things? Well, I, I have to say that it's like a combination. I, I usually read them in bed sometimes before I go to bed. Cause I like to have that. I like to have my comics on my mind. Um, I have read quite a bit of uh, Paul Jenkins' uh, Hellblazer sitting out at my new patio fire pit that I put together the last couple months. And, uh, That's fitting, isn't it? Let's read, let's read some Paul Jenkins about a fire pit. Yeah. So, I mean, I've got a lounge chair that I, I, I take a nap. I wake up, I'll, you know, I'll read a couple issues and have a beer, have a bourbon, and uh, occasionally smoke a cigar and enjoy a, a quick quick read so i've got all facets of places that i read my books but uh yeah so mark you got anything else you want to say no i'm good i'm i trust that you guys will enjoy this episode as much as we did yeah, absolutely until next time this is rich this is mark this is rob uh once again folks you know there are a ton of podcasts out there there are a ton of things you could be listening to on audible or whatever um and we really appreciate you taking the time to just hang out with us every uh every so often. So if you want to subscribe on your podcast uh, app of choice slash platform, you know, leave us a comment on our Facebook, uh, Heroes Home Base Facebook. And if you want to email us, Heroes Home Base um, at Gmail. I really appreciate you taking the time. This has been an RMR production. We appreciate your support and listening.